Sexual abuse is horrific and can truly ruin a person's life. When the abusers are community leaders and the community has a vested interest in making sure that they remain leaders in good standing, there's a double betrayal. How can a person go through this and still experience healing? I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. I recently watched a documentary by Dalit Kimor, Unkept Secrets, which details two religious families and their stories of sexual abuse. It frankly is an extremely difficult film to watch. After seeing it, I asked Ginendi, one of the two subjects of the film, if I could interview her on this podcast, and she graciously agreed. Ganendi grew up on the East Coast of the United States and made Aliyah in 2005 with her husband and children. She's an early childhood educator who founded and ran a private early childhood center in Israel for nine years, called Gan Pan, to help children of New Olim transition gently from English to Hebrew. Ganendi is also an activist and an advocate for survivors of childhood sexual abuse. She helped found an organization to combat child abuse and served on the board for six years. She currently runs a support group for survivors of sexual abuse and is studying mental health counseling. In addition to the documentary on Kept Secrets, Gedendi's story can be read in her memoir, The Price of Truth. Her own experience of sexual abuse is a story that unfortunately needs to be told. But as important is her message that healing is possible. Gedendi, thank you very, very much for being with me here today. I know it's not easy to talk about these issues, but you've been very brave, obviously, both in terms of the film and the recent book you wrote, The Price of Truth, about your story. So I appreciate your coming on the show to talk about this today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to help educate people. So let's begin by talking a little bit about your story. What, what happened? So my story is not a nice story. When um, I was a very young child... I was repeatedly molested in um, my grandfather's yeshiva. He was a Rosh Yeshiva by my grandfather and his Talmidim. One of his Talmidim was my father. Uh, my father ended up marrying his Rosh Yeshiva's daughter. So, and this is in the, uh, you know, deep Aguda community. So this is not something that the Rabbanim in the Aguda community have been able to help and support me with because they knew my grandfather. They know who my father is. It's been a very lonely journey in many ways. The, the fact that I'm religious and that I'm alive are both a miracle. And, you know, it's Hanukkah, so talking about miracles is very, very appropriate for right now. Mm-hmm. I've been actually very, very blessed and feel a lot of gratitude to Hashem and to people who have supported me that I'm here today and that I'm okay. Because for many years, I really was not okay. In fact, when I first realized what happened to me and that there was a name for what I went through as a young child, um, you know, I didn't have a name for it. We didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about sexual abuse. Um, We didn't talk about sexuality. You know, boys and girls were separate, even in the family. You know, it was a very, very interesting way that I was raised as far as the sexuality around um, and and being able to speak about these issues. Even within the family. Even within the family. Yeah, it was like boys and girls were separate. Boys and girls, you know, even my uncles, I wasn't really allowed to talk to them, joke around with them. They were men. I was a woman when I was 12. 
<laughs> it was like the... And you're one of 12 siblings, right? I'm one of 12 siblings, yeah. When I was about 18, things started to seriously fall apart for me. I started remembering things that I hadn't remembered. I started um, realizing that a lot of my issues came from those memories. I realized there was a lot of denial in my family as far as what had gone on and what was going on at the time. And um, I started speaking about it. And my psychologist at the time was the daughter of the local Rosh Hashiva, a friend of my father's. And, uh, you know, I, she start, She told me, you know, I think something happened to you. I think you were sexually abused as a child. I think we need to deal with this, um, which was totally unethical because as a therapist, you don't tell someone you think they were sexually abused. Um, there were a lot of very serious issues with her treatment. But when I started um, realizing that this was actually a real issue, she cut me off. She stopped seeing me abruptly and started telling people that I was not credible, that I was crazy. I'm sorry to interrupt. She was presenting and saying that you were sexually abused. Yeah. Why would she cut you off and say you're not credible when because, you acknowledge that? Because she wanted me to tell her that it was my uncle, who was another Talmud of my grandfather, who had sexually abused me. In her wildest dreams, she never imagined that it was my father, who she respected, and she told me she respected, and who she trusted. And the problem in this community is that we're very willing to hear and believe it until it's someone we relate to and we trust. And then suddenly, we can't. Our denial kicks in, our limitations kick in, and we got to run for cover. And I experienced that over and over and over again in the firm community. Actually, before I ever came out publicly with my story and started my blog about five, six years ago, I sent a letter to all the Rabbanim who had contact with 20 years earlier who knew that I alleged that my father molested me and that he was still working with children. I told him I was very concerned about the children he was working with. He was the principal of an elementary school, over 600 kids. I started getting calls from students of his. I, got a, um, I spoke to at least three students of his, boys, men, who he molested. They called you to tell you that they had a similar experience? Yes. Yes. And there's still, there's still nothing. Nobody's talking about it. None of the Rabbanim are expressing any concern about him. He's got nearly 100 grandchildren. Some, most of them live right near him. Nobody's protecting the kids. He's still around. <laughs> He's still doing his thing. So, Ganendi, obviously, all abuse is horrific yeah. by definition. But being abused by a grandfather and a father, it's like what they say about an earthquake. It's the most fundamental belief we have that the ground underneath us is solid and that gets turned upside down and removed. That has to completely destroy a person's understanding of the world. I'm sure the same thing is true here. When the people you trust the most are the people that not only betray you like that, but also there's a refusal of acknowledgement from everybody around. That must yeah. be an incredibly difficult thing to deal with. I'm not sure, honestly, what was the worst trauma. The sexual abuse, which really caused me to have a, um, a dissociative disorder, which um, made it very difficult for me to function as an adult and a young adult. Or the trauma of trying to get help and finding out that the people who were supposed to help me, like the psychologist and my family and the Rabbanim who were around me at the time were not capable of helping me. And not only that, my family's Rav told my siblings that unless I promised never to speak about this, they should cut me out of the family. And I told them that I couldn't promise that because my father still 
posed a danger to children. And the other issue I couldn't promise that was that my survival depends on being able to speak my truth. In the movie, Unkept Secrets, it's very clear that your family really wants nothing to do with you. Very moving and and a very sad part of of the movie is when you call your sister to ask her to come to your son's bar mitzvah and she hangs up on you after you talked to her for a a couple seconds. It took me a few days to get over that phone call. That was very, very painful to watch. And also the implication seeing you at the bar mitzvah and you're looking around for family. It was difficult enough to watch. I can't even imagine what it was like to experience it. What's your family's perspective in the sense that do they think you're making it up? They think you're crazy? Why why are they doing this to you? I think the the short answer is denial but i think i think in their perspective um i i don't know i've gotten different responses from them some are i made it up because i'm angry because i mean i'm not angry right now i was angry <laughs> i can get angry or somehow i want to hurt my parents which i don't i love them and miss them very much even my father which i know people have a very hard time understanding but our relationship is very complex, was very complex, as all relationships with our parents are. I don't want to hurt anyone. I never did. Um, I just wanted to survive. And I did what I had to do to survive. But I think the way they see it is that I, um, I'm a, a threat to them, to their destiny, to, their, to the family. And um, I think they also see this as Das Torah, because their Rav told them to cut me off. So they think they're doing Hashem's will. Why do the Rav say that? So I spoke to the Rav, and what he said didn't make sense to me, and I don't know if anyone who would speak to him today if he would make sense. What he told me personally was that he spoke to me when I was a young adult and I was in the hospital, actually um, when I was 21, and I realized that nobody was going to help me. A sister of mine suggested that I kill myself. I actually did. I, I, I tried to. I made a serious suicide attempt. I thought maybe that's what Hashem wanted. Uh, because it was just such a terrible Chalal Hashem, what I, what I was remembering and what I knew happened to me, I thought maybe it just wasn't supposed to be known because it would hurt the from community terribly. And um, I didn't succeed. <laughs> so obviously Hashem wanted me here for a reason. I think I was supposed to survive and heal and help other people who need to heal, which is what I do today. I actually run a, a support group for women who've been through complex trauma. And uh, I support a lot of men and women who've been through childhood sexual abuse. So what he said was that when I spoke to him on the phone eight years later, after my family shared with me that he told them that they have to cut me off, he said to me, you know, he got very angry. And he said, you know, this other boy that accused your father, they're not credible. And I said, look, I don't know what happened to him. I wasn't there which is all I ask that my family says. <laughs> you know, they weren't there. They don't know. They weren't with me every second. Based on what I know about my father, I think there's a possibility that he's telling the truth. But why are you so angry with me? He said, your family cannot stand the pain that you're causing your father. So I told him they have to choose between you and your father. And I said to him, how can you tell them to choose? Didn't the Nazis, didn't, isn't that what they did? Like choose between this child and this child or the mother and the child. You can't ask people to choose. That has nothing to do with Torah. That has nothing to do with Judaism. That was his own issue. And how can they choose? How do you choose between your father and your sister? But unfortunately, they did. They did. Well, they have six other sisters. They only have one father. So I understand them. Maybe I would have done the same thing if I was them. But they chose him. 
And they couldn't relate to the pain that I was experiencing. They couldn't relate to his pain, though. And what they saw is me causing. You know, that reminds me of a moment in the movie. It's almost a somewhat innocuous moment that wasn't even about you. The movie tells two different stories. And there's a sign on a wall somewhere. It's in Hebrew. It essentially says something like, there was an avrech, a young young man, who... I think is what it said, that yes. a spirit of folly entered into him and he did something stupid, and they're referring to sexual abuse of kids. Right. And how dare the parents of those children go to the police? They lost their chalik and olam haba, their share in the world to come, their maestrim. These are people who are the worst of the worst. And to me, it's so backward, and obviously anybody watching the movie would say that. It's so backward that the person who did a horrible crime is excused. He's he's has ruhstut. He did something right. stupid. Right. The person who tries to protect his or her right. child is right. the person who lost his share in the world to come for simply saying it. First of all, they made the wrong choice. Obviously, you have to protect the victim, not the perpetrator. But even apart from that, the fact that they're saying that in this black and white way that these parents are so terrible, it's such a terrible thing to see that that's how our community not all of our communities, but so many of our communities have developed. To what do you attribute that sort of black and white thinking in which they say you either choose your father or you, you choose the avreich or your child, which is an absurd way of looking at it, and then they make the wrong choice? Where did this come from? I don't know. But they forced me into an impossible position where I basically had to choose between my own survival and my family. The choice was, I'm going to live and I'm going to speak my truth, or I'm going to die. I'm going to be destroyed, which is basically a sacrifice that they were willing to make for the sake of the image of the family and of Torah. Every day, it's a, it's a difficult choice. Did you ever ask yourself, am I crazy? Is this something that's in my imagination? Is this something which really happened to me? Yeah, of course. I speak about that in the film. I think one of the things that is so difficult about childhood sexual abuse is that there are no adult witnesses usually, And even if there are, they're often not willing to speak about it. And I know what I experienced, but being told by everyone who should have known that it didn't happen made me seriously doubt my own sanity and my own credibility and my own mind and my own experiences. You know, my mother, my father, my siblings were all telling me this didn't happen, this couldn't have happened. And I said, how could they be wrong? How could they all be wrong? How could my psychologist be wrong? You know, when you step back and look at the bigger picture, this is actually very, a very common occurrence in people who come forward and talk about these things, especially incest. Very, very difficult. One of the reasons I felt like maybe I should kill myself was because I thought maybe I was wrong. Maybe it didn't happen. My mother would send me articles about false memory syndrome. Maybe I was remembering falsely. I don't know. I spent years in therapy trying to convince my therapists after this initial psychologist and, and I initially remembered these things, I spent years in therapy trying to convince my therapist that I was crazy and that I made it up and that my family was right. It would have been so much easier than the truth. And how did you decide in the end that what you were really experiencing was real and wasn't a product of your imagination? How did you come to that conclusion, given that you didn't want to come to that conclusion? I did not want to come to that conclusion. I would have preferred to believe that they were right because then I would have a family. And it's just, it's hard for me to talk about this at Hanukkah because that was a time with my family that, that was very beautiful. 
you know, when you grow up in a Torah family, some people say, well, your family wasn't really from, they weren't really Talmidei Chachamim, and, and they were in many ways, but they were split off from parts of themselves that they couldn't and didn't deal with. And I have beautiful memories of my family, just as I have horrific ones and traumatic ones. And it's been very hard to sit with both of those realities and embrace both parts of my my heritage, what I was what I was given to hold. You know, the spiritual destruction. Just I know Hanukkah's on my mind. <laughs> and just thinking about how, you know, the Hashmonaim, they had to go into the Beis Hamikdash and witness all that destruction to the holy of holies, to the holiest place on earth. That's what it takes. That's what it will take for certain segments of our community who are not yet ready to go in there and to clean it up. And that's what the Hashmonaim had to do. I think it must have been heartbreaking to see what was done to the Beis HaMikdash and to have to go in there and clean it up and find one little, you know, one little spot of hope in all that horrifying mess and violation of Kedusha. And I, and I feel like that's what we need to do as a community. There's been a terrible, terrible violation of Kedusha in our community and in our Kadosh Kedashim. And when you're sexually abused, your, your Kadosh Kedashim is violated. And you have to go in there and you have to clean it up. And you have to face horrible pain, horrible, horrible pain. And you have to be willing to face it and sit with it. And not everyone can do that. It took a lot of hard work for me to be able to sit with the memories that I didn't want to own, that I didn't want to accept, that my family doesn't want to own, my family doesn't want to accept. And also suspending judgment and saying, maybe I'm wrong, but let's just suspend judgment because I want to heal. And through my healing process and through sitting with both possibilities, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm mistaken, maybe I have false memory syndrome, maybe I'm angry, maybe I want to hurt my family, All every single possibility I had to sit with and I had to own it and I had to check it and say, could this be true? And at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm left with me and, uh, and Hashem and the reality of who I am and why I'm here. I was given a mission. There's nothing else I can say. You know what you're saying now brings up something which you mentioned back at the beginning of our interview about 15 minutes ago. How did you stay religious? Given what you went through, given what we see is the attitude of so many people in the religious community, and specifically the community in which you grew up, which betrayed you, why did you stay religious? Why are you a from Jew today? I'm a truth seeker, and I didn't stay religious for a couple of years when I was, uh, you know, spending a lot of my time in psychiatric hospitals trying to be crazy. <laughs> I didn't know how it could be possible that a Torah that was supposed to make us somehow better, healthier, more complete than anything else could have produced my grandfather, my father, and other people like them. I had to question, and I had to leave. Being a very spiritual person and a very someone who's always looking for truth, I, I asked, I, I, I opened myself up to, to God of my understanding at the time and said, help me understand this, help me figure out what the truth is. And um, for years, it was a huge struggle. I didn't know what I really believed for many years about the Torah and about Rabbanim because Rabbanim had hurt me so badly. And even though I believe, I always believed in God, a God of love and truth, I didn't know how to integrate the concept of Torah Judaism into that. I thought, you know, how could I trust Rabbanim? You know, we have this concept of Das Torah that was so perverted in my case, so used to hurt me 
and to almost destroy me. And we have other concepts. And I had to question. I had to find inside of myself my connection, my personal connection with Hashem and, and with truth and do a lot of learning and, and praying. I, I think I think tefillah was a huge factor in my continuing to be religious at this point. I felt like my tefillahs were answered in very real, very real ways. I wanted truth. I wanted healing for myself and my family and for all, our whole community. And that's all I want. You obviously now have a family. You've learned to trust. How were you able to learn how to trust again after what happened? How did that enter even your consciousness? You could trust people given that the people you trust the most had betrayed you in the past. That's a very good question. And um, when when a child or anyone is sexually abused, it, it destroys trust and the ability to be intimate. And both of those were completely destroyed for me. It took me eight years to even begin to trust my current therapist, who I don't see so often anymore, but I see her once in a while. It took me eight years to begin to have the courage to try to do the work that I needed to do to learn how to trust again. It, it was a parallel process of learning to trust myself and learning to trust her at the same time and realizing that, you know, people are always limited, but there are things we do know about people that we can trust. And even those people that we know things about them and we can trust, we know that in certain areas they have limitations because they're human. And I learned to accept that about myself. You know, I'm not perfect. I have limitations. And I learned to accept that about other people and to take the good that I can from people and to speak out against what I see as not being truth and not being truthful. A big part of the documentary is you're waiting and then in the end finding out that someone's willing to come forward. At the end of the movie, you were told by Shauna Aronson from Jewish Community Watch that there's a boy who is willing to come forward, use his name, and talk about what happened to him, and he was also abused by your father. Yeah. And to you, that's an extraordinarily emotional moment, and you say, They surprised me with that. I didn't know that was coming. Well, that moment was very clearly unrehearsed and frankly quite raw. Watching you make a bracha of Shechianu, thanking God for bringing us to this time, when you receive that news that another person is coming forward with allegations against your father, help me to better understand that your journey is not only one of personal healing, but also of helping other people who have experienced trauma similar to yours to heal as well. So in a larger sense, what I'm asking is, Apart from helping yourself through the book and through talking about it and through the movie, what's your larger goal? What are you trying to accomplish for for Am Yisrael, for the people of Israel? Healing. I I feel like Mashiach is coming very soon, and this is like the final frontier. Healing intimacy, healing the deepest parts of ourselves that have been hurt, healing our sexuality. Uh, this is something we have to do, we have to work on in order to bring Mashiach. And I think when people are willing to face pain, which is not easy, and I think that's what denial is about. It's about running away from pain, which is very useful and is a survival technique that we need sometimes. As painful as it is, I believe that my siblings and my family 
And even the Rabbanim, who so badly hurt me, are doing the best they can with the tools they were given. And, you know, I'm grateful. I feel like I was given a strength that not everyone has to be able to sit with a horrific pain and hold it, not just for myself, but for other people and to help other people hold their own pain. The fact that you now have obviously very little connection with your family, was it worth it? Are you glad you took the path that you took rather than being in denial? It wasn't really a choice. For me, it was either die or speak. But is it worth it for me? I'm glad I'm here. I feel like I got a gift a few years ago before Yom Kippur. I used to have a very, very hard time going to shul and davening and davening from a sitter. I would daven in my own words. I think it was about three years ago before Yom Kippur. I really poured my heart out and asked for truth. And I had an experience in shul on Yom Kippur. You know, I always felt like I had one foot outside the fence of the from organized Torah world for safety. Like, how could I feel safe here? How could I know I really belong here and that my mission is really here? And it was during um, Chazar Sashat of Musaf, right at the song, Mara Kayin, when the, when the Kayin Gadol goes into the Kodesh Kadashim, which, as I said earlier, the Kodesh Kadashim, in my mind, is our sexuality. It is intimacy. It's the closest any human being has ever gotten to Hashem in this world when the Kohen Gadol went into the Kodesh Kadashim on Yom Kippur. And I was just crying because I was remembering being in yeshiva where I grew up and hearing these same tunes. It was actually the first Yom Kippur that I was able to stay in shul and daven. And I was being molested in the background of all this kedusha and all the learning that was going on in the yeshiva. And I was given a gift, and people might think I'm crazy if you didn't think I was crazy before, but I was basically shown the story of my neshama. And afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm fasting, you know, I'm imagining things, I'm lightheaded. My neshama needed a certain tikkun. I was very close to Hashem, but I was blocked at a certain level. I wanted to get closer, and I couldn't because something was blocking me, something needed a tikkun. And I was basically offered this mission. That's what I saw. And then I saw my whole life and the horrific abuse that I could never have told anyone that they would have agreed to. But I knew that in order to be able to fulfill my mission, I had to have those experiences as a child so I would understand. So I'd understand the pain and understand the problem on a very deep personal level. And I saw that I was actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing, exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I was crying hysterically and I have to tell you, I wasn't sure what to make of it at the time. I was also shown in that mission that I should somehow, my, from my grandmother, who I never met. My grandfather, Rosh Hashiva, his, his wife died when she was very young, 36. I never met her. My mother was only 15 when she died. And I felt a message from her to, that she has sisters who are still alive. I got in touch with them, and I found a cousin, very, very, we're very close today, who also went through horrific abuse as a child, also related to the family which was very validating. But the next day, I woke up and I was able to do things that I had not been able to do for years. I washed Nagelwasser. <laughs> I hadn't been able to do that for years. I was able to dive in from a sitter with no questions. Like I had no more questions about my role and where I belonged and why I was here. It was gone. It was just, I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I agreed to it. I would never tell anyone they agreed to this, but I knew I agreed to it and that there was a bigger picture here and a larger mission that we're all here. I believe any of us who are alive in this generation have a big mission. 
And we just have to understand what it is. And once we understand what it is, we have to go and do it, no matter what anyone says. Ganendi, yours is a very moving story of faith and resilience amid terrible trials and tribulations. What do you want our listeners to take away from your story? I guess uh, the bigger picture that people who have been through this kind of abuse can heal, that it's possible to heal as impossible as it feels. It is possible. I don't feel damaged. I feel like I trust Baruch Hashem, my relationship with my husband, that we never thought would ever be completely whole, is whole in a way that neither of us thought was possible. And it comes through being able to face pain and face things we don't want to face. And that's my bigger message. And we can do this. We are doing this as a community, as individuals. Bezer Sashem, we are healing and we are bringing Mashiach. That's what we're doing. So along with the movie, as I mentioned before, you recently published a book. It's called The Price of Truth, The True Story of Child Sexual Abuse in the Orthodox Jewish World and One Girl's Courage to Survive. I know it's available on Amazon. It's also available here in Israel. If you would like to get a copy in Israel, write to me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at jewishcoffeehouse.com, and I'll put you in touch with Ganendi so she can get you a copy. If you're in America, go to Book Baby or Amazon. I highly recommend the documentary as well. Watching it was a very emotional experience for me and my wife. It was just very, very heavy, but very important at the same time. Yeah. And I understand that's playing soon in the JCC in Manhattan. You mentioned they're hoping to bring it here to Ramat Beit Shemesh soon as well. In a few weeks, hopefully, we'll bring it here to Beit Shemesh. The book is part one. I'm working on part two right now, which is about the healing process and I think is, is to me, the more important part of the story. Um, We already know childhood sexual abuse happens in the very, very from community. We know it's damaging. We know we're dealing with a lot of the fallout from that damage as adults in our families. And we need to understand how healing happens and what we can do personally and for people who we love who are affected. So part two of my book, hopefully, will come out soon. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck in writing that second part. Yenendi, it's really been, I'm not going to say it's a pleasure because it's obviously very painful to talk about this, but I am so appreciative that you're willing to talk so openly about your experiences, about your hopes and about your faith, your ability to really move forward and to teach people that we have to confront the reality, but there is room for healing. Thank you very, very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and it should bring healing to all of us. Amen. Thank you for joining me. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com.